You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Honestly, my parents were um, on the fence always about me pursuing a career in theater. The wonderful thing about them being on the fence is they still never missed the show. <laughs> so it, did, it didn't matter. You know, they were on the fence, but they were always there. And they, were in they, the, they were on the fence and in the seats at the same and time. And in the seats. They, <laughs> was, they were hugely supportive. And somewhere around when the light bill was due, they would say, well, now, what do you think about, <laughs> you know, so you, you kind of, but um, Oprah had us on her show, the whole cast. She flew us all to Chicago My to gosh. do the Oprah Winfrey show. And one of the songs that we did on the show was Hell No. And it's a song that uh, Sophia leads and with her sisters telling the men, we're not going to allow you to hit us. Hell no. I was in the ensemble with a small solo part in Hell No. Small. I, I don't even remember what it was. You're too good for that man. Hell no. That may have been all. After that little teeny piece, all of a sudden, I'm so glad you stuck to your guns. These are my parents. I'm so (laughs) glad. (laughs) We are so proud of you. You just, you just stuck it out. You are doing such great things. (laughs) Now, I have played leads in shows, but all I had to do on Oprah was come in and say, hell no. And I became acceptable. (laughs) You have contributed to the entire culture of American theater. Of of American theater. So I I think that is not so much me, uh, but the power of Oprah. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, in celebration of the Christmas present, a.k.a. a certain new movie release, we are discussing the musical The Color Purple, which was a listener request from several, including Charlotte, who wrote in from the U.K., and remarked how beautiful and important the show is. And yes, she spelled color with a U. Here today to discuss The Color Purple with me is just one of the coolest ladies out there. She's become a big star thanks to her Ice Queen role on Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots on OWN. But we loved her way before that when she was banking Broadway credits left and right in Play On. Remember when we did an episode on Play On, everybody? Did you listen to it? Maybe you didn't. Go back and listen to our Play On episode. Incredible history and performers in that show. She was also in the revivals of Wonderful Town and Bells Are Ringing, right, Angela? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And of course, uh, she was in The Color Purple, eventually taking over the role of Shug Avery. She's also a teacher and motivational speaker. Everyone, please welcome Angela Robinson. Yay! Hi, everyone. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay. So like we said, you were working on Broadway. Yeah, before Mm -hmm. this film version of The Color Purple. So 
Tell me about when this show came into your life, and were you already a fan of the book or the movie? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I, you know, first of all, I grew up loving musical theater. My mother was, um, I know, over the um, drama department, and she <gasps> taught twelfth grade English. Stop it. And she was on. Yes, yeah, she was over the drama department, so she was responsible for the senior class productions every year and I had to sit in on all those rehearsals so I fell in love with musical theater through my mom oh my gosh and through the Douglas Anderson uh senior class productions in Jacksonville Florida so um, wow okay sorry just got a shout out (laughs) educators I just uh, we're we owe so much to them and yay mom yay mom yeah So, you know, my mom was in love with Shakespeare and she was in love with musical theater and literature and and she exposed me to all of that. And then I go to college and she says, well, now you can't major in theater. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't get it twisted. Absolutely not. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. That was nice, but you got to get a job. So I couldn't uh, major in theater. I had to just love it from afar. And and so I got my degree in sociology. I I figured, oh, wow. you know, I'll, you know, I I still knew that I somehow was going to pursue theater and acting. But well, studying um, people is a pretty good way to go about it, right? Exactly. I thought it was my roundabout way in there. But I wanted to audition for, um, even though I wasn't a theater major, I did want to audition for one of the musicals that uh, that they were doing on campus. I knew nothing about auditioning. I wasn't, uh, I, I knew nothing about what to do. And they just said, you have to do a monologue, you have to sing. And then if they want you to stay and dance, you stay and dance. And my monologue was from The Color Purple. Oh. <laughs> Just got chills. (laughs) Dear God, it was from the book. Yeah, so Alice Walker's book has meant so much to me, even from when I was in college. And I ended up getting the lead in that play, um, in that musical. It was called Bubbling Brown Sugar. And it was the beginning of, you know, my introduction to knowing that I wanted a career in musical theater. But it was that Dear God monologue that started it all for me that is so beautiful i have i can i share a college experience with you real fast i would love it so senior year of high school got really sick of everything and so i started an early college program and just started taking classes at, at college and i don't know it was it felt very empowering and i felt independent and i could take whatever classes i wanted and you know mm-hmm I signed up for a class called Masterpieces of Literature. And the the final project of this class was we had to pick a book and write a big paper on why it should be considered a masterpiece. And so mm-hmm. I compiled a list of the books that I wanted to, you know, that I was interested in doing. And number one was The Color Purple. And wow. <laughs> here's the thing. My professor wouldn't let me do it. What? Yep. He said, I know, he said that the dialect in which it was written was too confusing. So then guess what did get approved? And this is where I I hadn't thought about this until I started getting ready for this episode. I was like, oh, my gosh, this this happened. The book that he approved was Silence of the Lambs. 
I couldn't do the color purple, <laughs> but I could write an entire paper on whether or not you know Hannibal Lecter was the worst villain in literature. I can't, wow. I blows my mind, and so I I haven't I have never returned to try and read it. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. That's very sad. You so, never returned to try to read it. No, I never did. And that's a and it's a crime. And I should absolutely reverse that now that I have remembered this experience. Yeah. But that but like speaking of the importance of educators, that's the reason I never read The Color Purple. Yeah, that is really that's really sad. Yeah. I mean, because even if he had explained it to you in a different way um, and encouraged you to read it. Yeah. Maybe not for this project, but you should absolutely read it. It was yes. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Everybody should. Yes. Nope. Eh, yeah. No, mm. the, the dialect's too confusing. I don't think you should read it. Confusing to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll give you oh, I'll give you one guess what that guy looked like. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. Bless his heart. Anyway, that that's my experience. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book written by Miss Alice Walker, the yeah. first African-American woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for literature. Mm-hmm. It's what they call. Oh, gosh, I'm going to screw up this word. I can't remember. Is it an epistolary novel? Meaning that it's written in letters, mm-hmm. right? It's Either letters, letters to God yes. or letters to, of course, uh, the, from the sisters. Mm-hmm. And this book I, reaches many, uh, unfortunately, not my professor, but many, many, many important <laughs> people, including one Oprah Winfrey, yeah. mogul, who when she read this book, it just spoke something to her soul. And she would talk about how she would gift it to all of her friends mm-hmm. in the 80s, in the early 80s, Steven Spielberg turns it into a film. And miraculously, one of the great stories, I think, in Hollywood is how Oprah gets that role in that film. Now, were you a fan of the film? Because I also know that when that film came out in the 80s, there was a lot of uh, pushback. A lot of controversy. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of controversy around the, the abuse of women, around, you know, how women were perceived definitely the 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 domestic violence um, For sure. but I, I didn't see it that way even then even then when i i saw the movie i saw um the empowerment of women i saw it completely differently i saw it the way people are seeing it now so i was ahead of my time <laughs> I, to no i think you're absolutely right i think time has reclaimed that movie i think so yeah Back then, it was this big deal. And the thing the thing about it um, that's so sad is that those things were happening in homes. And, you know, I just think people are really more willing now to admit that they were happening and mm. to overcome whatever it is, whatever reason they stayed in situations like that. Mm. Um, but we know, you know, of stories of abuse in all communities of all kinds. But I will tell you why also it was controversial. And the part that I understand, I totally get, is when The Color Purple came out in the 80s, there were very few Black images on film. We weren't having a film a week, a film a month where, 
where we were there. And so you felt like if there's going to be a movie and there are going to be images, why are you making them this? Mm. Why is it? Because then, you know, you had to wait a whole nother year to see another movie um, featuring black people. And so I think the reason why it was so controversial was just that it was just, we didn't have a lot to look at. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a lot to look at, you want to be very particular about the images that you put out there for your children, for the world, because uh, imaging is important for the world and how they view peoples as well. So I understand that part of it. And so I think us catching up now is uh, everyone has caught up. We now have more images. We now can see ourselves in all different types of ways. Is it perfect yet? No, but it's so much better than it was then. That's a great point. Thank you so much for sharing. And also, Whoopi Goldberg should have won an Oscar. Just saying. She should have. She should have. She She did. Uh, Yes, and that was her Oscar for The Color Purple. Hello. There it That's is. What ha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a beautiful film, though, and has so much music in it. I mean, music is in the DNA of this story, yeah. which is really, really beautiful. So then I think because of that, you know, it, it, it seems to call out to be turned into a musical, but it, it certainly wasn't an easy process. It starts out with Scott Sanders, who is the lead producer. And uh, whose job it was to convince Alice Walker to allow The Color Purple to be turned into a musical. I can imagine mm-hmm. her, you know, if we, if the movie version of The Color Purple was criticized for being, you know, for romanticizing a very difficult period in, in black history, I can imagine turning it into a musical <laughs> would then yeah. e- raise even more, you know, concerns. So it did It did take a, a bit of convincing to make that happen. He mm-hmm. wisely brings on other producers, including, once again, Oprah Winfrey and Quincy Jones. And so when you're, you've been on Broadway for a while before The Color Purple comes on into the scene. So when was it that you heard about this musical version of the story? You know, it was out there for a while. Um, They had done a couple of readings where we were hearing about it. Um, Sure. uh, A lot of uh, people that you know um, as stars today were in some of the readings. Anika Noni Rose was Nettie at one time. Wow. Uh, Rutina Wesley was was Nettie at one time. So it, it really did have a lot of lives. And so we knew it was out there. It wasn't until the production went to Atlanta and it was at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta that it was more serious. When it was leaving Atlanta, uh, everyone knew it was going to come to Broadway. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Um, I will add, though, to what you said. Um, Please. Oprah came on board very late in the process. She was not on board throughout the readings, not in Atlanta. So she came on. We were in rehearsal when she came on board. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, so the whole thing's cast and good to go, and then she came in. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, having been on Broadway <laughs> in two shows that closed barely before they opened, um, <laughs> I, I was a little bitter. And <laughs> a little, no, I wouldn't say I was bitter. I, I was never bitter. I was jaded. Sure. So I was kind of like, ah, I don't know if this thing's going to run, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of and, course. um, so I was kind of that person telling all the young people in the cast to save your money. You never know, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't unpack quite yet yes, into your unpack. dressing room. <laughs> exactly. And we're in rehearsal and um, Scott comes in and says, you know, I want to introduce you to your the latest producer that's joined our team. And we're tired. We're ready to go home. <laughs> we're not like oh goodness well good thank you god bless them can we leave now yeah have them sign the check and i'm hungry (laughs) right (laughs) and um in walks oprah wow yeah and it was i mean we were crying i mean like it was jesus honestly we were just we were because it was this it was a guarantee that you know you just kind of felt like at that time, her show was still on, her talk mm-hmm. show was still on, and you kind of felt like, wow, this this is going to happen. It's going to work. You know what that reminds me of is The Wiz. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wiz has that you know famous story about not getting great reviews when it first opened, and they needed they needed some money to stay alive so that the word of mouth could bring people in to come see the show. Yeah. And I think that every important and I I, I underline important because I, I don't think that, you know, a wicked needs this per se or a show with a lot of uh, spectacle. But I think any yeah. any show that that is really trying to say something and bring something new to the theater landscape needs an, a little extra endowment from on high or from Oprah, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, somebody. <laughs> Somebody to help the show stay alive long enough for the word of mouth to then bring people into the seats. And it seems like that's what happened with the color purple. Yeah? yeah. You you guys had the opportunity to stay open and find your crowd. I totally agree with you. I, I just think Oprah, and I don't know, it's maybe not necessarily Oprah, but sure. her her people... They know how to promote a show. Mm-hmm. Of course, we see how they're promoting the new movie. It's really wonderful to see because I I was in so many shows that, um, especially play on, that were extremely good, but it just didn't, no one knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. no one knew that it was there. So she was very good with helping to put the word out. You know, everybody wanted her. She was on David Letterman talking about the show opening night david and oprah walked over to the you know to the theater uh, which was right there close by close by right it was right there so the show everyone knew about it well you you all open and i don't remember were the reviews good the reviews were um, they were positive in general they were yeah in general they were maybe not like raves but they were positive right they were but Looking back at 
you know, you said you were ahead of your time, just like, you know, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. And I think that in general, the color purple was ahead of its time as well. I agree. Yes. My gosh, what it brought to the Broadway landscape in that season is incredible. And I remember reading article after article, not necessarily about the show, but about the audiences that the show was bringing to New York for maybe the first time. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was honestly one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Hmm. Here I am, a young black actress. I I wasn't young then, but I'm talking about back in high school and college. Um, A young black actress wanting to do something and I start doing it in at a dinner theater in Jacksonville. Shout out Alhambra Theater. Um, and, and love it. And then continue to do it at regional theaters throughout the country. And continue to do it off-Broadway and on-Broadway. And I never look out into the audience and see many people who look like me. I'm even doing shows with themes that are uh, related to my culture. But I never get to go to the stage door and see people who look like me. And that is just acceptable because you say to yourself, oh, you know, we're not into that or or the ticket prices are so high on Broadway. You, you, you tell yourself all these things and you accept that that's the way it is. But when you see it differently, when it changes, something happens inside you that you don't realize how much you missed it and how much you needed it. And there's a way that we watch movies and shows that's different from any other culture. It's just the way we interact with the TV screen or the stage. (laughs) Um, And you realize, oh, man. That's what I needed. That's what I, I mean, when, when Celie stands up to Mr., you hear, get him, girl. <laughs> Let him talk to you like that. You know, you, you have, you know there's an audience there who's rooting for you, who's standing with you. And it was so beautiful. And, and also it was us supporting us that made it special as well, that, to see the lines around the building of buses that drove in from North Carolina and South Carolina and Florida to see the color purple. It made a lie everything we had been told Mm. about how Black people would respond to theater. For years, when there was a show that was... um, you know, majority black producers would say, I don't know, you know, because these shows don't sell or that doesn't. And our show made all that a lie. Like it's not true. Yeah. It's just just not true. It's just not true. You just have to mark people have to know you're there. Mm -hmm. But once they know you're there, we have, um, you know, we're not a monolith. We have taste, different tastes in shows, but we go to the theater We go to the opera. We go to see dance concerts. We love all that stuff. We'll Mm. shut it down. We just (laughs) got to know that it's there. And that proved it. The color purple proved it. 
I would just cry every time every time I came up to the theater and and to see the audience. Oh my gosh, I already feel so alive. Thank you for all <laughs> these great stories. So let's talk a little bit about the writers of the show. Uh, now it's not often that you have three writers of a score. Yeah, sometimes you'll have you know, a, a songwriting duo, Flaherty and Aaron's Candor and Nett. But yes, yes. The, the Color Purple was written by Brenda Russell, mm-hmm. Allie Willis, and Stephen Bray. Now, Brenda Russell... <sighs> I, mean, I mean, listen. <laughs> <laughs> R&B royalty. Royalty. <laughs> yeah. I love Brenda Russell. And she wasn't exactly new to musical theater if anybody has listened to that original concept recording of Jekyll and Hyde she she's on it she's singing one one of those duets with uh Linda Etter on that Linda Etter so uh not necessarily brand new to musical theater a great a great writer though Stephen Bray also a songwriter known for his collaborations with uh, Madonna and other people and then in comes Allie Willis, and, and I'm saying her name correct, right? Allie Willis, yes. Yeah. Who is she? Oh, she wrote September. <laughs> Do you remember? Uh, with Earth, Wind, and Fire. of September. Yeah. This woman knows how to write a, a song. And I was searching online for, you know, a conversation between the three of them. Uh, about the color purple, all I could find was Oprah clips. God, God bless her. But <laughs> but I did find one clip, and I'm going to play it for everybody now. We never expected to get actually use the term the color purple. No one ever said to us, there has to be a song called the color purples, and we just figured it's never going to work. Her chords always kill me, kill me. And her and Steven were working on the music together, and just picked up the book, and I saw the words Blade of Corn. And I was just, like, flipping through the book and saw these different, like, phrases. And I remember saying to the two of you, like, <laughs> take your Valium now. Because here, here and it comes. And then just, because I couldn't, her, her chords are very easy for me to hear melodies against. And then started singing, and then we all started singing. And the energy in the room yeah. was full. You could feel it. That's when you know something magic yeah. is happening, because the, the energy changed. And when, when I got up, it's like, group hug. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it, it was incredible. So, so fantastic. I love that these three people were able to have a really tight collaborative experience, because yeah. what are the odds? I feel like somebody would always be the, you know, the third wheel or something like that. No, they worked very well together from what I could see. And they, yeah. um, they loved the cast oh, and they so loved cool. being a part of the process. Allie, in particular, rest in peace. Mm. Uh, she was a fan. <laughs> oh. she, she wrote it, but she was also a fan of, everybody in the cast and of what the musical had become. She would show up to shows all the time, back to back, wait at the stage door, come inside. Oh my gosh. Um, She really was beautiful. And uh, when we were on tour in in California, she had a huge party at her house. Hmm. Just a, a beautiful human being. That's fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Marsha Norman was the one who wrote the book for the musical, mm-hmm. also a Pulitzer Prize winner, I believe, for Night Mother. We've talked about her on the podcast before because she adapted another very famous book into a musical, The Secret Garden. That's right. And, you know, it did so in a very creative way with the ghosts and everything. And and so this seemed like a, a pretty difficult task to, you know, turn this narrative this book into a musical but it, mm-hmm. I, I think that they they did a really beautiful job yeah yeah she did and she was she was very open in in mm. rehearsals as I remember um to um to the actors and how they felt saying certain things and if they had issues with trying it a different way um mm. she she was open that's cool that's a that has to be a very delicate line to toe when you're a white woman writing this dialect for black actors. So, yeah. So that's impressive. The show gets nominated for many, many, many Tony Awards. It unfortunately does not win very many, many Tony Awards. But but Lashant, then that's what I was gonna say is that the Tony Awards actually got this right because it it is kind of tradition for an amazing role to not win the original actress <laughs> the tony award you have to wait till the revival yes. and then you get the award yeah. but lashans did get, win best actress uh which yeah. was I, I mean everybody had to have been so excited in the cast for that win yes i was hugely excited for her um it was so deserving also because she had been with it she had she had oh, been with really? it for yeah for a very long time. Um, she was in Atlanta. She did some readings and workshops, so she had been with it, and she deserved everything she got. The way she brought that role to life was really spectacular, and the reason why a lot of times the original character doesn't get. Um, the nomination and then the revival person does because they have they, they have a blueprint and right. then all they have to do from that blueprint is to make it their own and and everything but they have a wonderful blueprint and Lachance has given anybody that plays <laughs> Seely from now on a wonderful blueprint and I will tell you she created that role she wow. did I watched her work and I was always in awe of her, of her work, her dedication. Still, her she had small children at the time, oh and so gosh. her dedication to her work, but also her dedication to her family at the same time. She she's really one of my, one of my sheroes. Gosh dang it! This is a cool experience. Okay, <laughs> I just want to go through some of the other musicals this season. Yeah. Okay. The. F- Four musicals up for Best Musical were Color Purple, Drowsy Chaperone, Jersey Boys, The Wedding Singer. One of these shows is not like the other. Right. Um, looking back on these shows, all, all of which are terrific in all their own them. way. Yeah. It does feel like the Color Purple is the cultural touchstone of this season. Mm-hmm. It is. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Jersey Boys, huge runaway mega hit will probably always sell tickets and changed a lot of the game because we probably wouldn't have had the Carol King musical and everything that came after it in terms of and Tina Turner. 
the share show if they hadn't kind of created this mold of the bio musical but the color purple is undeniable and it re- and it, I, it I don't changed know. it changed the color purple changed the entire theater landscape it proved to the world that a show like it can make it on broadway it can not only make it but it can thrive mm. and that people will travel to see it i'm i I know that Jersey Boys is a good show. I saw it and I I really enjoyed it. But I don't think it was groundbreaking in the same way. That's the right Um, way of saying it. So I, you know, it's water under the bridge. Sure. (laughs) And speaking of traveling to see it, so then you go on tour with it and you get to take it to America. What was that like? That was life changing as well. At this point, you've taken over for Shook, right? Yes. I took over at the uh, at the end of the Broadway run. Broadway was more life changing for me because I, I I didn't know that was possible. Sure, I just didn't know that I could see a Broadway theater sold out with you know black and brown people, white people, all these shades and colors for that one show. Well, that's um, very true because Broadway is its own thing, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know the country. You said you'd spent time in regional theaters and stuff yeah. like that. So so it was just a matter of saying, like, no, this is the country. We have a population that will see these shows. But proving it in those few square blocks in the middle of Manhattan seems like a whole other animal. Yeah, yeah. People had a, a made up their minds of what kinds of people come to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And um, and they were wrong. So I that was more life changing for me. But going on the road with the show, it was like taking our baby to see to see, you know, her relatives. So, it <laughs> you know, it it was not as exciting as birthing the baby and, you know, and, and taking the baby home. But it was still exciting because we were yeah. taking the baby to meet all of his aunties and uncles. And. <laughs> And uh, and they were receptive everywhere, everywhere we sold out. And that was beautiful to see. But a lot of those people that came back to see the tour had traveled to Broadway. That's cool. Yeah. So this was like them. time number two or mm-hmm. three. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. Well, I want to go through the story a little bit because it's such a powerful story and score. And, and I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. Before we go through that, I want to do just a little context, a little historical context surrounding the timeline of the show. So in terms of looking at American history, 1865 is when the 13th Amendment comes out, uh, abolishing slavery. 1866, the next year, is when the Ku Klux Klan is founded, which is fascinating. Yes. Now... The Color Purple begins, the events of the novel begin in 1911. So we're talking of maybe 50 years after slavery is abolished. A lot of it has happened since then. The Great Migration, a lot of people moving to the north. Mm-hmm. The Color Purple, however, takes place in Georgia, meaning that these are people who have chosen to stay in the south. 
uh, some of which own land, some of which are probably sharecroppers and are uh, unfortunately beholden to unjust laws, Jim Crow laws, all sorts of things that are taking advantage of people. And we'll see that with many of the characters in the piece. The events within The Color Purple then go from 1911 to 1943. So within that, we've got the Great Depression. We've got the Scottsboro Boys, if you remember that musical that we covered, everybody. That happens during the time of The Color Purple. Lots of race riots and, unfortunately, lynchings. So it's really cool that within this really tumultuous time of change, this story is focused, it's focused honestly on the inner lives of these people. And in looking at, and I want to hear your opinion on this because this is just mine, but in returning to it for this episode and really looking at how the story is, is based on the inner lives of these characters, so much of this story is about generational trauma. That's what really stuck out to me this time is that you see all of this history that's led up to it and then everything that's going on during these years. And so much of the abuse feels generational to me, uh, something that is playing out over and over again. And, it, and it's up to these really strong characters to stand up and say, hell no, and yes. to, to change the, the way that things are going. Wow, that's a lot. It's a, it's are, a, <laughs> sorry, everybody. No, Just like unloaded everything on you. No, you're 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 so right. Um, definitely generational, but also we're dealing with a lot of the uh, a lot of carryover from slavery, right? So, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so all the the beatings and you know I'm gonna keep you in line and all of that mm-hmm. was learned from. From slave owners. Exactly. So um, there's also many times when we watch a movie or or a television show about um, a group of people being oppressed, we 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 want to see that part, but we don't understand that they're human beings there, and it's not just this group of people being depressed, but uh, oppressed, but these are human beings who have human experiences, lived experiences within their oppression. So the whole story is not about their impre- oppression, but how they lived during it and mm. through it. And that's what The Color Purple gives us a glimpse of. Um, and every every group that has to overcome that, if you go into into their lives, you'll find that, oh, during that time, they had a special needs kids or during that time. So this is a wonderful opportunity to see the humanity in in these people as opposed to uh, all they were going through. But within that, how they overcame it and and their humanity. So I, I think for someone like Sophia to stand up to Miss Millie knowing that, you know, only a few years ago she would have been owned by her, uh, you know, and to say, I'm not going, I don't want to be your maid, you Mm -hmm. know, um, Mm -hmm. was huge. 
It was yeah. huge. I think that for someone like Mr. to view Celie, even though she was his wife, as property is definitely carried over. It's definitely generational trauma. Learned behavior. It's learned behavior. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know any better. He didn't mm-hmm. know any different. His father treated him that way. And his mm-hmm. father was likely a slave. Mm-hmm. So it was um, to watch these characters figure it out, heal, grow. I mean, we don't even sometimes, sometimes in this day and age, we live a lifetime and don't heal from our trauma. And to watch these characters grow see the error in their ways or be bold and courageous and tell Miss Millie no and come out of it unchanged because she came out when she got out of jail, Sophia, after spending those years in jail, it did not break her. She may have come out broken, but Mm -hmm. then when that dinner happened, she said, oh, (laughs) Sophia, back now. Pass me some food. Pass me some peas. (laughs) She still had her, she still had that, you know, it didn't break her. It tried to break her, but it didn't break her. So there's this tenacity that, that happens in these, in these, um, women. Uh, the fact that Suge was able to leave a lot of times, the reason why people, overcome easier and they don't seem so downtrodden or they don't seem so uh, like there's a foot on their neck is because they got out. And Mm. so Suge was able to leave, but in leaving, as you say, even her generational trauma was that she wasn't serving God in the way that her father thought that she should. Right. And so she was haunted by that. until she was able to make up with him and make peace with him. So there's just so much overcoming, so much forgiving, so much healing that happens within these uh, 1911 to 1943 that happens that, you know, I I don't see happening in life often. But these characters, and Mr. gets a chance to make it right. Um, Even he does. Even he does. The only person honestly, that doesn't make it right would probably be Pa, the yeah. one who fathered the the, the babies kids. and, you know, and raped Seeley. He doesn't, he doesn't get to, to make it well, right. And that's how the musical begins, right? We have these two sisters, Seeley and Nettie. Seeley is pregnant with what we find out is her second child. Yeah. And uh, everybody knows that the father of these children is her father. Yes. So right off the bat, man, we're just like, woof. Okay, this is this is the story we're talking about, right? And yes, and this is what happened, right? To slaves, they were mm-hmm. raped by their masters, and they had they had children by their masters who were uh, a lot of times taken away. So this is generational. This is passed down, and fortunately, I feel a lot of that was broken. Yeah. Um, and it was yeah. mainly broken because of Seeley. Yeah. I mean, because, the, <laughs> the the silent giant, truly, right? Yeah. Of, yeah. of this piece. 
And the audacity of this musical that as all of this is unfolding within the first couple of minutes, the song that's accompanying it is God Works in Mysterious Ways, right? The Lord works in mysterious ways, yes, yes. Which is a fantastic song, so energizing and also somewhat ironic because we're thinking, sitting here watching this, how? How is God in any of this? This is so unjust almost the ignorance to think that God would sign off on this thing is fascinating. But at the same time, it's, uh, y'all sound so good singing it. That, <laughs> <laughs> that it's, a little, it's undeniable. Now, enter Mr. He wants to marry Nettie. Pa uh, doesn't want Nettie to get married, but he will give him Seely. Once again, like property. Yeah. He doesn't want Seely. He wants Nettie. Pa throws in a cow with it, right? So now now it's a deal. Mr. takes them both, but when he tries to get handsy with Nettie, she leaves. And Mr., uh, seeing how much it hurts Seely, vows to never let them see each other ever again. Yeah. Yeah. It should also be said that Seely does have the second child, and Pa takes that child away as well. So she has mothered two children neither of which she has and she doesn't know where they are who are some other characters we want to introduce so nettie's now gone we are not sure where she is we're not sure where the children are but we do meet uh several other people including harpo harpo is mr's son right yes and this family seems to be pretty well off mr owns land Harpo has enough funds to create a club, you know, like a jazz club, a juke (laughs) joint. Thank you. Uh So these seem to be two people in in the town or in the community that are doing pretty well for themselves, at least financially. Yeah. Harpo's wife is a tree named Sophia. (laughs) And (laughs) such a great character. Now, you've seen this new Color Purple movie. I have. Is it amazing? It's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, I'm really it excited. is. You you should be. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um it can't you can't compare it sure. to the to the uh first movie. You can't compare it to the musical or revival. It stands on its, it's own. It's its own thing. That's it's cool. its own thing. It's really, really beautiful. I think Mr.'s wealth is even more, um, you can see that even more um, Mm. in this movie. And, you know, um, my um, husband's grandfather was wealthy in the 30s. So that's not unusual. I know we never show those stories. No, we never do. Like you said, the one movie that came out in the 80s was this story. (laughs) Yeah. But um, what I love, I love many things about this movie. And I was prepared not to like it. Well, you're so close to it. I'm, I know, I, I'm sure you'd had to give yourself like the pep talk, like, okay, it's going to be different. I, I know. I was. I, I gave myself all of that, and um, <laughs> but I liked it very much. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of of everybody in the movie, and mm-hmm. but Fantasia, you know, has my heart because I was her shug. I was <sighs> her shug on, you know, at the end of Broadway, and I sort of rehearsed with her when she first came and we did the tour together so wow i was 
I, I went in prepared not to like it, but I also went in so happy to support my sis and mm. just so excited for her. So um, it didn't disappoint at all. Um, so the, cool. the one thing that I will say that I loved is we got a lot of criticism, all with love, but sure. we got a lot of criticism from people who came to see the musical for not having certain favorite songs from the original movie in but. the, in, yeah. And they, you know, they came expecting to hear though. They said, Oh, the color purple is a musical. So of course we're going to hear God is trying to tell me something. God, yeah. you know, we're going to hear these songs. The, that the musical moment of the film of the film, you know, um, and sister, you've been, you know, all these, <gasps> Great oh my songs. gosh, of course. But none of them were in the musical. Right. So the musical was its own thing and it had its own wonderful original music by Brenda and Stephen and Allie. So they didn't pull over those songs. Well, the new movie merges the two. Oh. So in, in the new movie, you're going to see them hear the music you love from the first film. And also the music you love from the musical, and a, um, so and cool. some new songs too. Really? Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. How exciting! <clears throat> I don't know why did I bring up the film? Oh, because of Sophia. I'm just so excited to see Danielle. Oh, I think it's oh. So, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. Danielle's amazing. So uh, Danielle, uh, sorry, Danielle. Sophia is the one who teaches Celia a thing or two about standing up to her husband, right? Because Mister beats Celia, he uh, treats her like a slave, and Mister mm-hmm. and and Celia kind of tell Harpo to like get Sophia in line, which means that he hits her, and then Sophia comes back to Celia and says, "What <laughs> you told did you Harpo do? to hit me?" <laughs> Yes. The lines are so fantastic, and they're straight from the book too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Some I mean, of them you just can't change. You just can't Some change of them. them. You can't change. All um, my life, I had to fight. <laughs> you're, nobody better touch that line ever. Yeah, no. 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 Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. But uh, Harpo goes to is talking to Celie and saying how I want Sophia to be like you. I mm. want Sophia to to do what I say when I call her and. And 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 fix my dinner and do all this stuff. Well, Celie tells him the only thing she's ever known, the only thing she's ever known from her father, Paul, mm-hmm. to Mister. If that's what you want her to do, you gonna have to beat her, because that's what happens to her. Now she later explains that she did that because she was jealous of the fact that. Sophia got to, you know, have freedom. And so she wanted Sophia to be brought down a notch too, you know? So <laughs> she said, you're going to have to beat her. But that backfired. And <laughs> Sophia came back and said, you told Harpo to beat me? You yeah, know? That, so, yeah, that, did, that did not go well. That it did, did not, not go well. Go but well. it's an important lesson. And it's yeah. the honestly the beginning of that healing, right? Yeah. To be shown, th- this is where your brain's at and it's not right. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. 
because the juke jive is now open and in business, uh, the famous singer Suge Avery is going to come and perform. Let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about Suge. What can you tell me about her? Because she's a complex gal. She mm-hmm. is the daughter of a preacher. Yes. And when she comes into town, she's not well. What exactly has happened? Is she just sick? Is she kind of strung out? Yeah, she's worn. She's worn. <laughs> It's a good she, way to she's, say it. she's been she's been uh, she's been living a hard life, fast and hard. Fast and hard, doing a lot of drinking, singing in in clubs. That's a hard life. That's how you're making your living. You're yeah. singing in clubs, uh, sleeping around. You can't go in the front door. You can't, you know, the clubs. You still are um, a second class citizen, although right. you're a star inside. Um, so you're living with that. So yeah, she, she, she's acting out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just, she's ill, a little ill and worn. She's just tired. And Celie really is the one who brings her back to health, right? Who n- nurses yeah. her back to nurses health. her back to health. Mister's in love with Suge. I mean, that's probably the reason she comes back to the house to begin with. But the true love that blossoms is between Suge and Celie. Yes. Um, And in the same way that Sophia broke open this place of, huh, maybe my life doesn't have to just be a series of beatings. Suge then capitalizes on that by saying, maybe there's room in your life for love. Love Mm -hmm. from another person, love from God. And it's one of my favorite moments of this story because, you know, I was born and raised with, you know, being taught about a loving Heavenly Father. And and I had never considered it until the color purple that, like, for someone who's just been beaten and raped by men their whole life, that maybe the idea of a God, a male God, would not feel loving. And so Celie, they're questioning her faith, being like, how could God be a man? All they've ever done is beat and rape me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's Suge and her beautiful openness that creates the space for that possibility, you know? Yeah. You know, you mentioned um, earlier about how it's odd that the, the musical opens uh, with the song, The Good Lord Works in Mysterious Ways. And all of these are the mysterious ways in which Amen. the good Lord works, right? Yes. Yes, he yes. uses the whore. He uses the fast lady mm-hmm. to minister and Ooh. pretty much save Celie's life. Those are the mysterious ways. She was not only helped to see God again by Suge, she was helped to see herself and to love herself and the mm. beauty within by Suge too. Not only with her words, Suge was able to help her with her by saying, you are beautiful. Look at yourself. By saying you are worthy to be loved and and all of that. But she was also help her, help, able to help her by showing and giving her love that mm. she had never received before. That gentle touch. She had touch. never received that gentle touch that 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 gleam in the eye when someone looks at you that we take for granted, right? When our parents look at us with such love, 
We take it for granted. But mm-hmm. Celie had never received that mm-hmm. until Suge. It's amazing. Yeah. And so this woman, and that's that's also a great way to look at life, that no matter how hard your life is, you can still be a blessing to somebody. And that's what Suge was. Her life was hard. She had been banished by her own father. She felt worthless too, but she just had enough uh, self-esteem to know that I'm going to make it through this. I'm still fierce. I'm still fabulous. You know, mm-hmm. she still she yeah. had that. And she was able to give her her essence was still a bit uh, give some of that to Celie. Her essence was still, you know, a bit self involved in a way, which is why she, you know, she had to leave. She left. Mm-hmm. But in the end, she never forgot what Celie did for her because they did they did great things for each other. Yeah. You know, but see, uh, Suge was definitely the one that helped Celie see the true beauty in herself and her strength. And she was the one, although Celie was walking around talking about the Lord, Suge was the one that really, one of my favorite lines that Suge says is, um, well, Miss Celie, I think it pissed God off if anybody walked past the color purple and not notice it. Hmm. It was Suge that showed her the beauty in all of God's creations. What a great character. Not only do you get to sing maybe the most, like the sexiest song <laughs> in, musical, in musical theater, yeah. but then uh, then you also get like, what about love and the color purple? My gosh, just, yeah. Yeah. it's, 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 and, 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 and Taraji does a beautiful job. Oh my goodness. She does a beautiful job singing those songs. That's awesome. um, it's going to be a treat. Again, for for the world. So before Suge leaves, she gives a letter to Celie that she's found. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out that Mister's been hiding all of these letters that Nettie, the sister, has been writing Celie all this time. She is alive. Not only is she alive, she's in Africa Mm -hmm. as a missionary. And once again, mysterious ways, she traveled there with a preacher this preacher is the person who Pa gave Celie's children to. Probably so, sold, but yes. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, great point. Mm-hmm. So that means Nettie is raising Celie's children. Yeah. In Africa, no less. The yeah. second act begins with the song. It's just all of these letters of Nettie's experiences in Africa with the Olinka tribe. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this one line that when I heard it this time, it just killed me. And I pro- you probably know which one I'm talking about. But Nettie says when she arrives to Africa, you could put everything I knew in a thimble. What we're taught to be don't resemble the kings and queens who for thousands of years ruled magnificent cities washed away by tears. I mean, my gosh, that line, right? Mm -hmm. Just the majesty Mm -hmm. of what it means to um, go to, you know, once again, be told over and over that this is who you are, this is who you are. And then you go to Africa and realize, oh, no, I'm I'm actually 
a king or a queen. Royalty. You know? mm-hmm. Royalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. Once again, giving Seely uh, more information of who she actually is. Yeah, yeah. You know, in musical theater, we have the I Want song. Every lead character towards the beginning of the show sings The Wizard and I are part of your world or something where they say exactly what they want. Seely does not have an I Want song. And and I think it's surprising to people that we don't really hear from her in that sort of way until in the second act. But it, I think in many ways it's because all of these people and all of these chapters unfold throughout the beginning of the story to even allow her to dream and know what she does want. Right. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until she finally has this opportunity at Easter dinner to stand up to Mr., and say, I'm leaving, and I curse you for the way that you've treated me, that everything you touch will will be cursed, that she finally gets to sing, I'm here, which just feels like such a catharsis, not, for, not only for her, but for us who have seen her take this journey to finally be able to stand there and, and sing the song in this way. I mean, it's one of the great highlights of the entire show, don't you think? I do, yeah the best song of, of, of gratitude and thoughtfulness that I have ever heard looking at all the things that you have, not all the things that you don't have. I mean, she, she even says, I may be poor, I may be black and I may be ugly, (laughs) but I'm here. Mm. And in being here, she's not just here the way she was before, but she's showing up, and she's participating. She owns her shop now. She's, uh, you know, she's making, making a pants, making pants, making a difference in the community. And so the power of being here, you know, of course, I, I think that resonates even even more today because uh, we hear so many stories of suicide today. And so when we talk about being here. We understand what a huge thing that is to 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 literally just be here to, to have, choose to, to be have here chosen every to day. be here, you know, to cho- to have chosen to stick it out one mm-hmm. more day. So I'm here was always a powerful song. I think it's going to be even more powerful now because mm-hmm. it's just so many people are considering checking out. And Seely says, with all I've been through, I'm here. And that's big that's that I'm huge. still here. Yeah. Ooh, what a great example. You're so right. If Seely can do it. We can do it. We can yeah. do it. And the thing that's on the other side of being here, as glim as it may may look, and as, as much as you can't even imagine it getting any better, it's not until... Uh, she acknowledges that I'm here and I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to put my hold my head up. I'm going to put my shoulders back and look you straight in the eye. Hey, I'm even going to flirt with somebody when they walk by. I'm going to sing out when she makes the all these declarations of what she's going to do because she's still here. Her life changes. She decides, I'm, I'm going to do this life thing differently. And so I, I really think that is 
that's going to bless people on a different level in 2023 because we've survived so much. We've come mm. through so much. I think it's it's going to hit different, as the kids would say. It's going to hit different. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. My gosh. Well, it does create all of these opportunities for Celie with her business and 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 also her her curse is one hundred percent brought to pass. As prophets of old, uh Mr. Mm-hmm. is really affected by everything that he's done and it humbles him. Yeah. Humbles him deeply. It's one of the things that I in the past have questioned about the musical, that he gets his own song about like sharing his side of the story. I'm like, I don't want to hear Mr.'s side of the story, but I I have been humbled, and I think that's kind of an interesting part of the show that we get to hear exactly what he's going through and how he chooses to humble himself. I agree, but I will tell you that he doesn't have a song. Did it get in cut? The, in the, yeah, I feel um, like it, it's it's a little too it's a it's too much for a film. Yeah, but he does such such beautiful work. He doesn't, and the journey's song. the same, right? Mm-hmm. The journey's the same. Yeah. In the musical, he kind of orchestrates this reunion. Is that true to both the book and the the new version? I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at the end, Celie has this new shop. She's been able to inherit the house from her pa, who turns out was not her biological father, she finds out. So hallelujah for that. Uh, finds out so- she was loved after all. Yeah, because her mother left her the property. So now she's kind of an independent woman. And Mr. creates for her as penitence this reunion, this party celebrating her. They're old now, Mm -hmm. but in attendance is Nettie. And here's this reunion between sisters that's been so long coming with so many prayers attached to it and so much hope. Um, Yeah it finally comes to pass and what a mm-hmm. blessed reunion it is. It's a beautiful reunion. They, they run into some trouble in Africa and they need help with the uh, United Nations to uh, get back into the country. That's and right. um, this is Thank a letter. You, colonialization. <laughs> but yes, they, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, they, uh, Mr. reads this in a letter that comes. So he's the one that goes to the State Department and vouch for them to, to come back. And so that's how that was able to happen. It is a beautiful reunion. Uh, she gets her, her kids and her sister. She also gets a beautiful reprise of the color purple, right? See, look yes. what God has done. Look what God has done. And now she believes. So she's able to, Suge sings it to her the first time. And this time she gets to sing it. And isn't that true? When we know something, then we share it. Then we then we share it. Yeah. That, that final Color Purple song, every night and without fail, the entire audience would be on their feet and most in tears. And I did that show five years, three on Broadway, two on tour. And I will tell you probably four, eight shows a week, probably four to five out of the eight, I too was in tears. And you would think, oh, you've been doing this show five years now. You still crying? (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, it had that effect. It has that effect. The journey is different every night. The cast, we'd look at one another and we'd be standing up there crying. Just like we didn't cry last night or we didn't cry. You know, we would just ball it. it when people say there's a purple effect, there is. I mean, there was something so moving and everybody can talk about where they were in their lives and how that final song, look what God has done. Thinking about the different things that God is in, like a blade of corn, like a honeybee, you know, thinking about all the, all the ways we should see God. It just would bring us to tears every night. And, um, Seely says this one line before the show ends, before that song is over. She looks at Nettie and she says, I don't think us feel old at all. I think this is the youngest us ever felt. And then the whole cast says, Amen. Hmm. And that's because most things in life, whether it's a career that you desire, whether it's children or a relationship, take time. And you have to wait. But if you can know that when it happens, because we think, oh, I'm going to get old and I'm, I'm going to lose my, my space and oh my God, I won't be able to make it in show business because no one will want to. When it happens, you'll realize these mysterious ways that God works that you won't be old at all. Like it'll be, it'll be like, wow, I feel younger than ever because that's the timing it was supposed to happen. And I would say the entire time of The Color Purple I was trying to get pregnant. And I remember uh, doing IVF shots like in my dressing room before I had to oh go. Oh my gosh. Just like I got to go on stage. I got to give my, my estrogen <laughs> shot and run. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was kind of old then, I felt, you know, to, to, to be trying to, to conceive. But, you know, that was just the path that, that I was on. But every night I sang that, lyric i don't think us feel old at all it would tell me that whenever it happens it will be the perfect time and it happened you know years even after the color purple my son's five now and even now when he's running me and i'm chasing him and you know people say oh you got to be able to keep up with these kids i'm like i don't feel old at all wow i think this is the youngest I've ever felt. And this is, you know, these lyrics that Allie and and Brenda and Stephen wrote, they speak to the very, you know, human parts of us. Mm-hmm. And they have no color. They have no, because everybody can say, I've had a wish, I've had a dream, I've had a prayer that took a long time. And when it happened, it was the perfect time. And Celie had to come into herself fully in order to receive her children fully. And she did that. She went through the journey and she she was healed and she saw God 
and God blessed her. Well, I got nothing else. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Angela. What uh, an incredible piece and what incredible perspectives you've been able to bring to it because you were with the show for so freaking long. I know. You I know, know, for every every time we think, oh, I know that show forwards and backwards. You've just proven we can always find something more, right? Yeah. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. We're on X, TikTok, we're on Instagram. We also have our T Public store where we have great designs, the profits of which we donate to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And don't forget about Patreon exclamation point. This month, we have a very special bonus mystery episode that I'm really excited for y'all to to listen to. Um, above all, just know how grateful I am that you are part of this wonderful podcasting community. Hey, Angela, how can we follow you and what's up in your world? Yay. Okay, follow me on Instagram at Angela Rob's Child. I, um, my father's name is Rob, so it's easy. Angela Rob's child. I'm on Instagram, Angela Rob's child on Twitter, Angela Rob's child on TikTok. Follow me all those places, Angela Robinson on Facebook. And, um, yeah, I have a new series coming out soon on Apple TV called The Lady in the Lake, um, with Natalie Portman. I'm excited about that. And um, also my husband and I offer acting workshops in New York City, the White Robin Group. So we will have a um, ongoing scene study class starting up in February. Uh, you'll see it on my social. Join us for that. Um, my husband is a professor at Columbia University teaching acting and Shakespeare. And um, he's an amazing coach. So follow us. You can also go to our website at thewhiterobingroup.com and find out more. Fantastic. Thank you again, Angela. What a gift. Happy holidays to you and yours and to everybody out there. Thank you for listening. Uh, Remember, look out for that color purple. Yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.